Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. My name is Julian. I am so glad that you guys have joined me again. So recently, I got this really cool opportunity to sit with the Pivot Podcast. This is hosted by three young men from here at Inland Lighthouse Church. It is Ruben Rocha, Josh Alvarez, and Seth Lopez. They are doing a fantastic job. They have some really cool interviews that they have done. Well, I got to sit in and join them as they interviewed Bishop Johnny King. It was really exciting. Bishop King is an inspiration to me. He, You guys will see in this podcast the impact that he had on my life as a young person. You will get to hear Brother Bishop Johnny King's desire and burden on missions, doing and furthering the kingdom of God, and also his compassion that he has for a hope core. You guys, this is a great interview. I am very excited. It will it will be divided into two parts for you guys. So I really hope you guys enjoy as much as I did. And I want to say welcome to The Overflow. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. Today is a very special episode. We're joined with Julian. Hello everybody. I'm happy to be here on the Pivot Podcast. This is awesome. Today we are extremely honored to have a special guest with us. He's highly esteemed in the apostolic Pentecostal realm. His voice has impacted churches greatly all around the world. His ministry is deeply respected among the greats of this generation. God has taken the depths of his ministry to bring strength to many, both nationally and globally. We are honored to have with us a hero of the faith, Bishop Johnny King. Thank you, guys. Sir, thank you for coming. Pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and uh, kind of ask you questions, interview, and things like that. Uh, Brother King, would you mind starting off the podcast by telling us about how your family, uh, how they came to God in Bakersfield, and what it was like being raised up in the, under the leadership of an icon like Brother I.H. Terry? Okay. The, uh, the story of, of my mother's conversion is a story on its own. I often cover this in one of the Hope Course sessions. When I discuss God has a plan for your life, and, and the basis of that, of course, was in Jeremiah chapter 1, God told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. When you were still in your mother's womb, I sanctified you and I called you to be a prophet unto the nations. And, and um, to every individual, every person, I believe, that's ever been born, God knew them in their mother's womb, and God has a plan for them. Whether or not they ever, they ever fulfill that plan is basically it's up to them because God gives us all the freedom of choice. But I talk about the story of my mother from all the way from her birth and her childhood and and what she went through, um, born in, in Oklahoma, eventually came to California as a child, entered into a very bad 
uh, marriage, had five children by the time she was 22 years old, um, attempted suicide, and uh, through all of this, she was searching for God, and she was, she was crying out for God, and she was trying to find God. When she finally was introduced to the church, she fasted 30 days to get the Holy Ghost. She, she wanted, she was so desperate for the Holy Ghost that she went on a complete fast uh, of food for 30 days, which was not healthy for her. Neither is it necessary. You know, you don't, you don't have to beg God. You don't have to go on a 30 day fast to get the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. But she didn't know that and, she wound up in, her mother was living in South Bakersfield, and she had separated from her husband, and, and, and Sister Marguerite Terry was uh, the pastor's wife. She would drive, the church was in the North Bakersfield, but she would drive and pick up my mother and take her to church. And I believe it was uh, my mother's first visit to church. Of course, this was I.H. Terry. And... Her first visit, um, the guitar player slugged Brother Terry in the face and scared my mom so bad she jumped up and ran out, probably said, I'm never going back to that church again. But, but she did, fortunately. So I was, I was privileged to be born in that church, raised in that church. <clears throat> my father's story was a completely different story altogether. He was an alcoholic and remained an alcoholic until I was 12 years old. And then he came in during a revival that was being preached by Brother Verbal Bean, 1965. And uh, he, he was drunk when he came that Saturday night revival service. And he went to the altar, drunk, sobered up. And at that time, my mom and dad were separated. My dad was living behind the bar his favorite bar in Bakersfield, the cool spot. And so when he got up from the altar that Saturday night sober, my brother and I went home with him, and the next morning put his stuff in a cardboard box in the trunk of the car, and he took us to the church for the first time that I ever remember. And then from that time on, in a few days he got the Holy Ghost. He, he remained faithful unto death and was a was a wonderful dad, a tremendous example as a Christian in, in uh, taking us to the house of God. So that was my mom and dad and their testimony, and of course their testimony was part of my testimony. Right. And then Brother Terry, uh, as you know, uh, I.H. Terry was, is an icon in the apostolic movement, and... Um, um, a, a legend, but to me, he was my pastor. He was a man of God. He was sensitive to God. He was he was devoted to the Word. He was known as a Word preacher, and he preached the Word. He 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 drilled doctrine into us, and so you know there were no questions about the new birth plan of salvation when when Brother Terry finished with us. <laughs> And um, and then I I I did something I shouldn't have done when I was 18 years old. 
I graduated from high school and I, I didn't have a plan in my life. I loved God. I loved my mom and dad. I loved my pastor. I loved our church. I didn't have any problems with our pastor. And, and uh, you know, everything was fine. I wasn't running from anything, but I felt like I needed to do something. Once you graduate, you're 18, you, you have to do something with your life. Right. For lack of a plan... I joined the military, and Uncle Sam got four years of my life, which I will never regain, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about Hope Corps, because Hope Corps gives you a plan. Hope Corps not only gives you an immediate plan for anybody, any new convert, anybody coming in the church, any young person raised in the church, anybody graduating from high school, Anybody who's questioning what is the will of God for my life or what is the plan of God for my life, you don't have to run away or you don't have to join the Air Force or the military just because you don't know what else to do, which is why I did it. Right. I didn't know what else to do. Had there been Hope Corps, I know exactly what I would have done. I would have joined Hope Corps. Then, in Hope Corps, I would have learned about the will of God, the plan of God, how to find and discover the will of God for your life. What is the will of God for your life? What is the kingdom of God? Where do you fit into the kingdom of God? All of these questions would have been answered, and so I would have, I would have you know, I had already felt my call to preach. Hmm. But, um, but I didn't have a plan. And so I remain passionate about Hope Corps, and I, I, I have talked several young people people out of joining the military, and um, and I encourage people to, to join Hope Corps and many people. In fact, last week at peak, I was talking to a pastor who credits Hope Corps with everything, including he and his wife joined Hope Corps when they were, you know, they were saints in a church. They were Sunday school teachers in bus ministry, and, and um, uh, but, but being in Hope Corps led him directly uh, in, in just a matter of years, into the pastorate. And now, after he started a church two years ago, he's running close to 70 in the 70s on Sunday morning. And, um, and he, he, attributes, he attributes all of this to Hope Corps. He found his purpose. He and his wife found their purpose in Hope Corps. So wow, that's, that's a little bit about my background and where I came from. Really? I, I'm sorry, Bishop King, if I could add there about your uh, passion with the young men in Hope Corps, it was uh, peak 2009 for myself. Uh, I was going into peak. I was praying a lot. I was fasting. I was talking to my ministry here about joining the military. Um, I was, I remember, so, you know, right out of high school, I would walk to work. I worked in a place called the Pizza Factory, and I would pray in this field I'd be like, God, I need to hear a voice. I need a yes or a no. I was like, I don't want a gut feeling. I don't want, um, I was wanting direction. And I, so I went to peak and you began to talk about Hope Corps. And you mentioned your military experience. You were in the Air Force. If I remember correctly, I think you were deployed. I think you went to Vietnam. Um, and I remember I was, you had me hooked. I was like, I was so drawn in. And I felt like at that conference, you looked at me in the eye 
and said to all you young men who are thinking about joining the military, do not join the military. I thought in that crowd you looked straight at me. I remember I turned red and I was like, I was like, that was it. This is what that was what I was praying for. I said, okay, God, I'm not joining. And so I was actually um, already talking to recruiters at the time, and I just just told them all when I came back, sorry, not interested, not going. Um, at that point, though, I, I I tell young people to this day, I'm married now. I've been married for ten years. I have three kids. This is not a, that's not an excuse for anything I'm about to say right now, but I do wish at that moment I would have just joined Hope Corps. Um, I, I let the idea of money and all this stuff being the way, you know, just, uh, but I, I wish I would have done it. I still, to this day, I, I tell my friends, I'm going to do Hope Corps. Me and my wife, we both want to do it. Uh, my son's actually sitting right there. That's my son, Aiden. Um, I want them to be an example of seeing dad doing Hope Corps. Um, I would, so I just want to say that your testimony, you saying that it definitely, I tell people, Johnny King, what he said that day changed me forever okay i would have been in the military i met my wife with okay so if i could back up with me not going to the military i met my wife three months later we are heavily involved here at the church we do bus ministry we do sunday school uh doing it for about 10 years now uh, bus ministry uh now in charge of it and just working closely under bishop booker and pastor booker here um so i want to say thank you thank you for that and you will see me and my wife so remember, Julian and Kim Estrada, you will see us in Hope Corps. So we're going to do it. Thank you so much. That's so. beautiful. That was like a burning bush experience, huh? Yeah, it was my burning bush experience. I need it. I need it. I said, God, I need to hear a yes or a no. And it was like you said exactly how I wanted to hear it. Thank you so much. You hear that? The nope. military is not your answer. <laughs> military is not. Nope. Camo hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, to, to clear something up, I, I did not. I was not deployed to Vietnam. I okay. spent all of my uh, tour of duty four years in Texas, where, which is where I found my wife. So I'm, I mean, something good came out of it anyway. Yeah, right. God, God has a way of even taking our mistakes and messes. If if we'll give it to Him, He has a way of of giving us something good out of it. And so He did. He gave me the best wife I could ever ever imagine and, and hope for. But. Um, one of the reasons I joined, besides the biggest reason of not having a plan, was it was during Vietnam, and it was during the draft, and I and I thought, I don't want to be drafted, because if I'm drafted, I'm almost certainly going to Vietnam. And if I join the Air Force, at least I have a little bit of control over my destiny and can maybe choose where I go or what I do. Well, I mean... Maybe a tiny, tiny bit, but but once you sign the dotted line, they do whatever they want to with you, and you're not your own. You belong to Uncle Sam. But us as Christians, we can't do that because we're not our own. Yeah. But we don't belong to Uncle Sam. We belong to God. That's good. We've been bought with the price. Right. You know. So for four years, it was like whatever God wanted to do with me. You can't do it for four years, God, because I signed my life away to the government. Yeah. And um, in one of those peak services where I made that statement and, and encouraged men not to join the the military, uh, immediately following that service, I was approached by a young officer in the Army, and he was he was very irate. He was upset, and he said... Um, 
He said, I, I, I differ with you. I beg to differ with you. And, and, and when I said that at, at peak, I didn't have time to say everything. You know, you're, you, you get a, a short couple of minutes to say what, you, what you're going to say. And so when he came to me and he was upset, I said, look, what I didn't have time to say was I'm a veteran. My father was a veteran. My son was a veteran. He served in Iraq and came back with two Purple Hearts. Wow. He's still paying for his service to this day. And, and I honor you for your service. I said, what you're doing is honorable, but it's not eternal. Only what we do for God is eternal. Now, more and more, more and more, it's questionable as to whether it's even honorable. Because you're backing up a government that is dishonorable. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, this same man came to me at Summit last year. He said, "Do you remember? Do you remember when I came to you after peak, and and what I said?" I said, "Yeah, I remember." He said, "I was wrong." I said, "You don't have to say anything." And he stopped, and he had tears in his eyes. He stopped me. And he said, "Yes, I do. I do have to say it." And he said, "If I could, I'd get up there and tell everybody I was wrong. You were right. These kids don't need to be joining the military." And he's still in. Wow. You know. Wow. He's still in, but but he. He he came and he's a great young man. We de- we developed a friendship after that initial conversation, and um, and I've been close to him ever since. But uh, that was interesting that that just happened this this last summit. And you know, last summit too, I was there and I uh, I got to sit in on your preparing for ministry uh, session in the morning, and that was amazing. If I could, uh, you know, I, t- I brought a lot of that home with me, you know, with the idea. You know, I know this is a very simple, but, you know, something like you don't need to ask for permission to clean the windows. You don't need to. You just get to work. Yeah. Bishop still picks up a vacuum. You could pick up a vacuum, you know, like all these things. Um, so you've impacted my life. You've uh, definitely at peak 2009. Some last year, I remember I came home and I just shared with my pastor like, man, it was amazing. You should have heard this. And, you know, so yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I, there's nothing more rewarding, I don't think nothing in the world more rewarding than being part of the kingdom of God and helping to make a difference in people's lives. Well, a part of being in the kingdom of God, uh, Brother King, or Bishop King, I, I should say, God has given you the opportunity to travel around the world. Uh, would you mind telling us how you came to be so involved in missions and perhaps sharing some highlights with us? You know, it probably started in my, in my childhood I can remember many years ago, I was probably in my mid-teens, and a missionary came to our church. Um, it was, this was um, Brother Sism. He was a missionary to India. He later became, he later became uh, director of uh, foreign missions, and he was there visiting. He was on deputization, and he had a, a, I think it was a sitar. It was a, it was a strange stringed instrument from India, and he sat cross-legged, if I remember, up at the front and began to play it, and he was very good at it. And um, people jumped up and began to run down toward the front to, to watch what he was doing and to watch him play. But it affected me differently than it did everybody else in the church. 
I began to cry. I, and I didn't understand that. I just began to weep. And I, I never, you know, I never dreamed at that time. I, at that point, I doubt if I'd even ever been out of the state of California. You know, I didn't, I didn't travel out of the state line until I was 14. We went to um, Oregon to, to pick cherries a little bit that summer. And that, that service, you know, and that music, that strange music from India, and I was just sitting there crying. Well, what an unusual reaction. I didn't dream at that time that, that I would go to India, but I did. I went with your, with your bishop, uh, Bishop Booker and I, and, and I think three or four other men went, and then I went back again. Um, and, and God opened doors. It's not that I didn't kick doors down. It wasn't that I just wanted to travel and, and go visit places. Um, it's just that God opened doors. And as God opened doors in my life, I walked through them. And that took me to Africa several times, probably a half a dozen times to the African continent, India a couple of times, um, Europe, Asia, South and Central America, the Caribbean, the Pacific Islands, and um, uh, one nation more than any other has been has been the Philippines. I've been there enough times, and accumulated eight months of my life I've spent in the Philippines. That's that's pretty significant. So, yeah. hundreds of nights in hotel rooms and and places in the Philippines where I really felt a connection with these people which then led later on to my Ph.D. research, which was, which was about the history of oneness Pentecostalism in the Philippines, where I was exposed to a, a lot of different oneness organizations and um, meeting people and sharing their testimonies, uh, hearing of many, many miracles that took place that hopefully will be a subject of, of one of my books. And, um, and I, I don't know, it, you know, like it wasn't a goal, it wasn't a goal of mine. It was just um, God opened a door. And then when when uh, the men got together and decided to form the, the Worldwide Pentecost Fellowship, I was at that initial meeting in, in Durham, North Carolina, and um, they asked me to, to come into a hotel room there. I believe they were meeting at the Holiday Inn Express, uh, Bishop Godair and Bishop Kuhn and Bishop Odom and and uh, then Brother Kenny, both Johnny and Kenny Godair and, and Brother Booker and Brother Nate Wilson, and Tommy Kraft was in that meeting. Wow. And they asked me if I would consider being um, a, uh, the chairman of the Global Missions Council. I felt, I felt good about it. I said yes, and, and that's the way it happened. So that's beautiful. Know, that's, it's not, but it's not like something I, I had to kick a door down or I don't think. If it's the will of God, you don't have to kick doors in. Right. God will open those doors. Would you mind talking? I know you just mentioned that, that, that meeting. And for someone as young as me, I never, we didn't, I wasn't in this thing when we were part of the UPC. When we came into church, um, we were in the WPF, but I don't want to get too political here, but I have a question of that initial meeting because I think of that. And in, it, to me, it's just, it's larger than life the stand that you, you, you took, the Bishop Bookers and the Bishop Godairs, the stand for holiness. Can you time to talk about what led up to that 
meeting and how that meeting went down. Okay. I understand that, that we were all part of the United Pentecostal Church. This was, Brother Terry was a, was a UPC pastor. And many years before, when some of his f- very close friends left to form another organization that at that time was called the AMF, Apostolic Ministerial Fellowship, and they expected Brother Terry to go, he, he declined. Um, he stayed with the UPC. He said that, uh, you know, this is, this is an organization where we're trying to reach the world with the gospel. Um, uh, it's a basically good organization, and I believe in accountability. And, and that was one of his big deals. He believed in accountability. And so he wanted to make sure he was part of something that, that, that he and other men were accountable. And, and the UPC had an Articles of Faith that was solid. In fact, um, unless it's recently changed, that, those Articles of Faith uh, remain the same. So in those Articles of Faith, for instance, it says that, that um, it talks about the evils that are on Hollywood and television, and it said, because of the display of all these evil, this is a quote, because of the display of all of these evils on television, we wholeheartedly disapprove of any of our people having television in their homes. Wow. Okay, so as far as I know, that's still part, unless they've changed it, that's still part of the, of the Articles of Faith of the UPC. But in practice, things begin to change, and and I was a, a cooperating and participating member of the UPC. I was on the district board for 23 years. In fact, I was on a dis, uh, on the district board and resigned from the district board midterm um, uh, to leave the UPC and to join the WPF. And my words, what I told the general board, was the reason I'm leaving is because of the the direction that I see the organization going, where we have men on a national platform that are going to professional sports games and uh, that are that are you know watching Hollywood movies and promoting the same and Super Bowl Super Bowl right. you know games right. in their churches even some wow. of them, in spite of it being something that was against the Articles of Faith, so. Mm. The Articles of Faith were strong. I had no problem with the Articles of Faith. I was living the Articles of Faith. As far as I know, I'm still faithful to the Articles of Faith of the UPCI. And, but but I, I told the general board, this is why I'm leaving. And, um, uh, you know, some of our Bible quizzers had gone to a, a Bible quizzing tournament, and as some of the awards that were given out were where they don't they don't even exist anymore, but they were blockbuster video cards, <laughs> where you could take these cards and go wow. go check out get free rentals for movies, you know. Well, I just I just couldn't do that for the people that I was pastoring and and the young people. Somewhere you have to draw a line and make a stand. That's right. The 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 tipping point was probably I believe it was the 2008 general conference where. A resolution was passed allowing um, television to be used for advertising and for church ministry services, so that you can now use television for your, you know, to to promote your church and and to to put your services on television. That that really, I don't think, was the issue, but that was a reversal of a decision that had been made earlier. 
the decision that had been made earlier, I believe in 1977, was television would not be used, that no minister would be allowed to use television to advertise or to, to promote his church services or to have church on TV. So this was a reversal. Most of us in the know realized that um, most churches weren't going to use television, and really t- today television's a moot point. It's not, you know, I mean, whoever wants to can be on the Internet and Facebook and, yeah. and YouTube, and, and, and who wants to be on television? That's, that's old technology. That's old news. You know, that's, yeah. So, but the problem is, is it, is it lowered a standard that we had set earlier, that our fathers had set? It reversed that decision, and we felt there would be no stopping place. And, and I, I think our decision was right. And, and so many of us, at that point, we made a decision that we would have to do something. And that's when the men that I named earlier decided that they would form the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. So it was, it was taking a stand um, against Hollywood— against a worldly agenda and for you know for standing up for for righteousness and, and holiness and of course um, there are still many people within that organization who who don't participate in those activities and that that are righteous and holy and and in fact everybody there would argue that they are righteous and holy and and that they use, discretion and whatever they view and so on and so forth but it was a reversal yeah it was a reversal of a policy that had already been set and since then of course then they've removed even the restrictions against preachers owning televisions they've wow. removed taken that out of the manual the bylaws i just want to say that we we honor you for taking that stand you and the rest of these heroes like Bishop Booker's, um, the, the Goderas, and I just want to publicly say that we honor you today. It's, it's almost like Bishop once, and our pastor adamantly preaches about drawing the line, making sure that you set that line, and I think um, something that came to my mind is how Bishop says, like, um, when I was in my right mind, I made this decision. Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's just um, kind of interesting how things like you said it's a reversal how how just in your right mind you make a decision and for some reason somewhere you just forget about it you yeah. know yes and you know i i remember when that was happening and i knew the stand that you uh, the elders were taking and i i my family uh, majority of them are backslidden and i remember at 12 years old 13 years old and the first time we started to allow little clips and movies into the home and i remember when it started off with like oh we're gonna get the computer and we all made popcorn and we sat in front of me we were watching it was trinity broadcasting network and it was like a christmas show and i remember sitting there with my family and i just begin to cry and i begin to tell my mom and dad like we can't do this I mean, I was 12, 13. I was like, we're allowing something. I, they were like, well, and again, my parents are now back. So then they said, well, um, it, it, it's just a Christmas show about Jesus. It's, you know, and I was like, no, we can't. Then before you know it, though, the, the, the computer screen turned into a TV screen and it got, and before you know it, 
G-rated movies went to PG, then PG-13, and it just got worse and worse and worse. Now, um, you know, I'm praying for my family to come back, but I do know that that was something that started to make them slip, was that simple little, if they could say innocent, you know, talking about Jesus and the Christmas, but it allowed something into the home. And I remember, again, a young age crying, like, no, this cannot happen. Um, So now, you know, being at... now I'm the only one of this group that's married and has kids and I have to set those lines in my home saw the impact it did and basically mimic what you guys did uh, so many years ago saying no we will take a stand and if I could share a personal story I remember you know at that time my wife went to a, a, another local church uh, same thing Pentecostal church um, but we we were kind of we were young 21 years old getting married and she was like you know where where what are we going to make our home church and i was like you know i'm trying to be open-minded you know i knew i wanted to stay here and i was like well like let's sit around and you know let's see let's pray about it well and and no disrespect to her old uh church but her pastor quoted a movie he said a line from a movie. And the only reason I knew that's because he, he said, he's, oh, from such and such movie. Remember this line? And he said it in, during his message. And I sat back. I looked at my wife. And I was like, we're going to talk. And I said, we're not going to church here. And, and we, again, we respect, we love the, the church, them. But I was like, we're going to go to. And, and I knew. Now, my, my wife was here when Pastor Booker became uh, pastor here. And when he preached that message, and it was about tents and just driving in the stakes deeper, yeah. I was like, "We are safe here," and that, and that's why. And what you guys did, you guys made a safe environment for us and our families. It's thank a, you. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned how you were raised and having under the leadership of Ayush Terry, and how you said it earlier that how he embedded doctrine, embedded holiness. It's interesting how uh, you find a common theme with churches that are sticking to it you look at their background and at some point a man of god came into their life and influenced and embedded holiness doctrine in my right mind i made this decision and it's just it's it's, you almost find like a common theme with similar churches that like for example pastor booger man of god in his life that directed him guided him under the unction of the, uh, and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and IH Terry for yourself. It's just it's interesting that there's a common theme in that. So I, I feel like I was, I was raised in a safe place under IH Terry. But then um, after I left and, and became a pastor, you have to choose who your friends and fellowship is going to be. That's good. And you have to be really careful in this because it doesn't matter if you're a, a young person in a local church or if you're a preacher, a pastor of a flock. Whoever you fellowship is who you're going to resemble. You will be like your fellowship. Now, of course, there's probably no greater influence in your life than the person you marry. The man and the woman that are married together probably and, and should be the greatest influence on their lives, each other's lives, other than God. And then, of course, if you're in a church, should be your pastor should have that influence. But, but the people you choose to run with, that you choose as your fellowship, so whoever you choose to hang with, 
that's going to influence you. You're sitting with them in church. If they're not worshiping, chances are you're not going to worship because they're intimidating you. If they're sitting there chewing gum and, and crossing their arms, you're not going to feel like jumping up out of your seat saying amen to your pastor. And and if you're if you're fellowshipping with a, if you're a preacher and you're fellowshipping with with preachers who who want to talk about movies they're watching, well, that's going to affect you. And if you keep fellowshipping that, you're going to start talking like that. Yeah. But I made a, a, a mind my mind up a long time ago that I wanted to be like David. I wanted to be a lover of good men. And so P- Bishop Booker was one of the men that I met in 1984 on a trip to Israel. Uh, we met in New York City. We were both on the same uh, tour to Israel for the first time, and Brother Terry had paid his way wow. to go. And uh, from that time on, we've been friends. And, I, I mean, it was a conscious decision. I want to have men like this as my friends. I'm very particular who I choose as friends. You know, I want to be friendly to right. everybody. Right. But to be friendly doesn't mean you are bosom buddies or that you are close friends. And so, but having friends like like Larry Booker and Vaughn Morton uh, have helped me to be doubtless the man that I am. You know, there there are there are people that they may be good people, and they may take you one extreme or the other. You just have to be careful who your friends are and who you allow to have influence in your life. So, I mean, Brother Booker has been a tremendous blessing. I thank God for him. I thank God for him. He's been a tremendous friend to me. Wow. And both of you guys being friends, there's one thing that I notice I believe is common, and you guys both love books. And if there's some books that you would love to share, what are some books that you would recommend to the listeners that are listening, um, whether it's about leadership, loving God, getting closer to him, what are some books that you would recommend to us? The wise man said, of the making of many books, there is no end. There is no end to books. I mean, right now I'm getting, uh, I said I'm available till six because it's six. Uh, Brother Eugene Dominguez's daughter's bringing me some of his books, okay? <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to take them home. Um, I like, I like, I agree with with, uh, Bishop Booker when he says biographies. I like to read biographies and histories. Right now I'm reading uh, Anthony Everett's um, The Birth of Rome. And there are are several authors that are very, very good. The History of Greece, The History of Rome, which if you read this, you see today's politics in there. Mm. And, And you see the birth of democracy and the republics, and so on and so forth. And you see the same mistakes that, that they made are the same mistakes we're making today as far as politics are concerned. So that's that's very interesting. But the thing about Greece and Rome is it also gives you an insight on New Testament and sometimes uh, in, in just pre-New Testament church, uh, I mean history of the Bible. Um, but... Other than that, rather than, than give specific books, which 
you know, I believe especially biographies and apostolic biographies, uh, uh, Brother Booker's Journey of a Lifetime, Carl Ballesteros' um, book about climbing that mountain, um, uh, you know, I.H. Terry's life story. These are things that help help you to know what they went through as Christians, sometimes as young Christians, and you can identify with them. Also, if you're if you called into the ministry, they give you hints about how to prepare yourself for ministry, and they deal with issues that are seldom dealt with today. You know, um, but but I do want to say this about books. Right now, I'm. I'm on a quest. I'm trying to find some scholars or people who want to be scholars or academics who want to study, particularly young people so they'll have more time to invest in this, who are willing to learn ancient languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin. I think Latin especially is key, German, French, because of all the books that were written in these languages that may have something to do with our oneness history and Jesus' name baptism history. For instance, who has ever gone through the Vatican Library, particularly looking for books that deal with maybe oneness heretics, right? right? But they're going to be written in Latin, okay? I don't read Latin, but I'm seriously considering learning, Yeah. Okay. But, but it would make a whole lot more sense if one of you at your age would learn and become proficient and be able to travel and, 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 and go through the Vatican Library and many other libraries. You know, I'm, I'm planning a visit to the, the Prague State Library in, in Prague, uh, the Czech Republic. And in this library is, is supposed to be one of the most beautiful Baroque libraries in the world, but it has the original books from when this was, I believe, a monastery. The original books are still there. So all these monks that were that were reading and writing in Latin, and in this area of, of Czechoslovakia, Romania, Moravia, Transylvania, there was a there was a movement here from which the, the Moravians came out of, which had an influence on on uh, John Wesley and and the Methodist movement. And they were influenced by Michael Servetus. Just, I've just come across something recently. I was doing some research on that and read they were influenced by Michael Servetus. Well, Michael Servetus um, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion or, or Restitution of the Christian Religion is, is the most rare book in the world. It's the rarest book in existence because... John Calvin and, and others of his ilk tried to destroy them all and burn them all. What if you could come across an original copy of that in in one of the Eastern European libraries in Transylvania, in one of those old monasteries? But we, we've never looked. Right. So I'm trying to get a team together who, who can read and write Arabic, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, German, who are willing to start doing some serious research 
and sharing together and compiling lists of, well, look, this is what I found, and guess what I saw over here, and and this is what I found in in this library. Yeah, it's it's it, you know it's exciting. It may be boring. It's going to take years, but who knows what we could find about these people were baptized in Jesus' name. So, uh, Pastor Walker, who took Douglas Walker, who took the church that I pastored for forty three years, and is doing a tremendous job with it. I am so happy. He has an old Latin book about indulgences. And in it, there's an in, there's there's a a notification that this indulgence was given by a Pope allowing somebody to be baptized in Jesus' name wow. because that's the he said because that's the way they did it from the earliest times. Check that out. All right. <laughs> How old is that that book? This this book is uh, probably from the fifteen or sixteen hundreds. I'm thinking. Wow. And that's just one. It may, it may be older than that. Yeah, and that, can you imagine? This is what I've that's heard. Just one. Yes, yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I've heard. Uh, the Vatican Library, right, has kept secrets in there f- for many years. God only knows there are a bunch of exactly. oneness, oneness things. Like we got to hide this. You know, there's I mean? a there's a secret library in the Vatican. That's what I yeah. Okay, it's secret. Now, not everything there is secret. There's a secret library, but to get permission to to look at something in that library, you have to tell them what it is you want to look at. So you have to know what's in there. So you have to know what's in there, and they don't have a list. There's wow. no index. Wow. <laughs> but and and Spanish is another. Uh, another language, but you have to know like ancient Spanish. Like if you're reading, if you're reading Shakespeare in English, mm-hmm. it's not the same. I've tried. Yeah, I can do it, but I'm slow because the the S's are like a double F. Really, and and it's not the same as today's English. I'm assuming that ancient Spanish is similar. That there's a lot of difference between the Spanish of 500 years ago and the Spanish of today. Right. Yeah. You, so yeah, I mean, it's Mexico. You have you have coastal, coastal, and then you even have from Spain, like Castilian, like, Castilian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. I can't imagine if that's just. He found something in the Latin language, and if <laughs> you mentioned Hebrew, Aramaic, um, German, I can't imagine if there was just at least one book from each language that you mentioned, the knowledge, the depth of knowledge that we could have. Okay, let's let's get even. Let's let's. Let's even a little bit further out there. Yeah, let's yeah. get crazier. What about hieroglyphics? Mm. Okay. What oneness person who's, who's – you can do it. You can read – you can study and, and learn hieroglyphics so that you can go to Egypt and you can read all those monuments and you can say this is what this is. But who with the oneness background has gone there looking on purpose because, you see, a scientist or an archaeologist without a oneness background – it would mean nothing to them if they read across, came across something that said these people only believed in one God. Right. That would mean nothing to them, hardly. Mm-hmm. But to us, it's going to like, whoa. What? <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me tell you what happened. I was in uh, – I gave a paper at the University of Birmingham, and uh, it was talking – I talked about monotheism, and I talked about, um, you know, orthodoxy – Orthodoxy basically means that which is right, but who decides what's right? The majority decides what's right. 
So what they call Orthodox today, the Orthodox people of today call us heretics. But the Apostle Paul said, after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Anyway, I was given this talk at the University of Birmingham. Afterwards, another young doctoral student came up to me, and he, he said he was from um, um, the Middle East, a certain Middle Eastern country. He said, that was extremely interesting what you said. I'm glad to hear you say it. He said, because I have some Arabic friends, some Muslim friends who come up to me and say, why can't you be like the oneness Pentecostals? What? Okay. Wow. So way over in the Middle East, Islamic countries, yeah. there's some Islamic scholars who know about us, but we don't know that they know about us. They know about us. What do they know about us? Where did they learn that? Huh. That they told told their friend, why can't you be like the oneness Pentecostals? Wow. Okay. Now, Amos Young, you know, uh, uh, a very well-known, very well-known theologian and writer, admits that that oneness Pentecostals have a bridge between both Jews and Muslims that Trinitarian Pentecostals don't have, mm. because we believe in monotheism. Yeah, and uh, I, I found that very interesting. So, what's what's in old Arabic libraries? You know, what's in the old monasteries in Mexico that have been locked away for hundreds of years? What, what are in those dusty, dusty books that that nobody's read for hundreds and hundreds of years? And Peter said unto them, what? <laughs> is there anything there about, look, these people believed in one God, and they baptized in Jesus' name. Wow. So I'm, I'm convinced there are treasures to be found if if we're willing to put a little bit of work and organization into going after them, that is that is honestly mind blowing that you mentioned that. That's I that never would have crossed my mind, honestly. And and you're right. There's God only knows the rich depthness that are behind those books. It's just yeah, wow. So I'm trying to get a hold of of, of hello anybody who's out there. I'm, <laughs> trying, I'm trying to get a hold of of people who who are interested in a project like this and want to be part of a team that we can collaborate together and and use their studies and the languages that they're studying or that they want to learn uh, uh, for the kingdom of God. Drop your emails in the comments <laughs> yeah. if you're interested. No <laughs> comment. <laughs> um. This is going to conclude part one of the interview with Bishop Johnny King. I hope you guys are enjoying this podcast as much as I am. I really hope you guys join us and listen to part two. Meanwhile, God bless and have a great day.